You know the ANC folk are just now getting here. <laughs> Trey, I think we broke through, buddy. Either that or Jen's people are in town. <laughs> I think we finally became a baby mega something, actually. These are just all the chairs we can squeeze into a cafetorium at Shady Hollow's Middle School. Welcome to ANC. My name is Jason. Um, if you're visiting, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is what preachers do. Just wave at us. Let us know you're in town for the book launch. Look around, y'all. Look around. Crazy town. That's, that, that's why your parking space was complicated. <laughs> if you fall in love with a parking space at a middle school, you might need to switch it up a little every once in a while. I want to welcome everyone. Today is my 23rd anniversary. Yeah, that feels like something. So what's the most romantic way to celebrate that? By teaching kids church, which is where Allison is, and by preaching on Sunday morning. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. It's not 25, y'all, so we're going to be fine. Um, Today's a special day. If you've noticed, there's a whole bunch of folk in from out of town that I think it's important to acknowledge, and let me just explain that. Um, We have been given a rare gift, and if you are an ANCer, you know what I'm talking about, and if you're from out of town and you follow this community online, you probably know that with even a deeper level of envy than those who get to be with Jen every day and Brandon every day. Um, It's a rare thing, and I think it's important to point out, and I think we do this pretty faithfully, but this is a rare little global, national, local thing going on. And sometimes it's important just to say that because I think things can become mundane. Well, there's something going on. Um, There's a book launch this week, and I thought it would be cool to pray, and let me just tell you why. Um, Those books find people and set them free. That was a strong amen. (laughs) Dang. All the locals are like, okay, all right. All the out-of-towners are like, "Uh uh-huh. That's why I bought that plane ticket from Poughkeepsie or wherever I came in from. But look, what's that? That's the Baptist script, right. Um, I have these weird memories of our house in spring north of Houston. I was working for a large church plant in the city there called Lakewood, and I remember the first time my wife is one of these obnoxious readers. When we're both reading, she can't not make noise. Uh-huh, you know these people. She's like, oh, she's laughing out loud. I'm like, I can't read a thing with you. I'm trying to do some Richard Rohr over here, and you're reading Jen Hatmaker, and what a weird name that is anyway. And so I finally, I, I slammed my book, you know, speaking volumes of frustration by simply closing my book. You know how people are, men are. And I'm like, what are you reading for Pete's sakes? And she had been turned on to this book called Seven by a friend up north, and it took us on this weird journey that totally upset our life interrupted our life. Uh, and, and actually, yeah, you're like, yeah. That's not in the notes, y'all. This is, just, this is just the energy of the room. This is what noonday brings to a room, right? Oh, my God, this is too easy. But I remember when those words upset thought processes that I had linked to long-term connection to where we were, and I just remember being attracted to, and this is my only tweet that sort of encapsulates who Jen is for me. She gives me permission to just be, to just be that mess. And I was in a pretty slick, primary color, high polish, coiffed hair space, and I just craved the permission uh, to just be where we were, to talk about it that way, and to, to have it not cost us community. And I think, I think out-of-towners meet in-towners, in-towners meet out-of-towners. Here's what we share in common, and I think it's important. 
there's a deep, deep value for those who can charge ahead and take all the arrows to open up just enough of a path for us to find our way in. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray before this podium falls apart. I know how to fix it. I'm going to do this. Don't ever do this in front of a crowd because it's super awkward. You're going to think I'm Bob Vila. And if you know who that is, you're, you're old. Um, I want to pray for this new book. Can you pray for books? Can you pray for books? I don't know. I don't know that it needs a lot of prayer. It's like Mexican food. You don't have to bless that. That's blessed. But let's pray. Let's pray for this book um, because it's going to find someone and it's going to set someone free. So let's just do that real simple. Listen, Jesus told us two things regarding prayer. He said, don't do it publicly and don't do it with a lot of words. So I'm not going to make this eloquent. Let's just close our eyes and let's just pray. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we pray for this book release that it would find the wings it needs to get to the people that it needs to find. Take it everywhere. Help it make those connections, Father. And we just embrace the gift you've given us and we thank you for that. And we are honored uh, by the things that you've entrusted to us. In your name we pray. There was a, uh, a, a big party on, it's my favorite new outdoor venue in Central Texas. It's called the Hatmaker's Porch last night. <laughs> so um, some of you guys are still dragging in from that space. But, um, so we're going to wrap up a two-part mini-series today. Uh, and uh, we, Trey talked about stewardship of our finances two weeks ago. He killed it, by the way. And then we baptized some people last week. And so today I'm going to wrap that up. And I want to talk about stewardship as it relates to our personal gifts and strengths. Um, it's a subject I love. It's a space that I've worked a lot of time in. But let me just tell you this. It's also a space that I've set a lot of words into that I would like to have a lot of them back. And you'll know why in a minute. I want to take a different angle on this today. And here's the angle I don't want to take. I don't want to talk about talents and strengths from the leadership development perspective from that angle. That one's wore me out. See, there's a holy grail in ministry, and you may not know this, and if you don't, I envy you. But it's how do you figure out how to turn everyone into a passionate, go get them volunteer? How do you create a free army to get stuff done for the church? There's a bait and switch behind the argument of our, the discussion of the stewardship of our talents and strengths. And many pastors that I know personally use this to guilt people into volunteership. This is volunteership with pixie dust. So we're going to blow some holes in that today. Here's my problem with the whole leadership development angle as it relates to church growth and the metrics that we measure church by. It doesn't feel a lot like the gospel to me. It doesn't set people free like I think it should. It's more about turning our churches into these little corporate leadership factories. You know, you've maybe served in those spaces. I know I have. So that we can get more done with less, and that's ultimately what I would say is the bottom line sometimes, just under the veneer. In my 20s, you know, that made perfect sense. I was all about it. In my 30s, I started looking around the edges. In my 40s, I'm done with that. I'm just done with that. It doesn't resonate with me anymore for a couple of reasons. For starters, because I don't see the let's assess a thing's health based on its growth metrics in the message of Paul, and I frankly don't see it in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, Jesus was a pretty dismal leadership developer if you look at him through the metrics, okay? As always, the why of Christian devotion has to be attended to. What's the why behind the what? What's the thing behind the thing, right? Motive is key. We know this through the message of Jesus. If motive is to create a bigger following, sometimes I wish churches would just say that. Just say we want to be really big so we can feel really important, so bring all your friends. I might actually get motivated to bring my friends. But when it's 
this cloak and dagger sort of dark room smoke and mirror stuff, it just feels like, hey, let's uh, go to war for freedom. No, just call it economics, thanks. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go there. I don't know the out-of-town crowd. <laughs> Makes me really nervous. Usually the youth group sits here, and they're all on Facebook. <laughs> this is making me super nervous. But you get what I'm saying. There's a, there's, it's almost as if there's a problem with false advertising sometimes around the way we speak to ourselves. You see, if the, if the goal is bigger crowds, better programs, slicker programs for our kids, and elephants this year because camels last year for Easter, you know, the escalation game. If that's what it's about, what it's about, it explains why it's so empty to me. And I don't know if it is for you. What I struggle with is the unspoken reality that we just got to make it grow. We got to get people involved so that we can do more, so that we can what? Slap down our name on a 30-year mortgage. So that by the time we're done, we have to move out of town because we can't afford to be in town because we've, we're spending all our money on brick and mortar. So you know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. A conversation about stewardship and our spiritual gifts is actually not a church conversation at all. So hang with me. It's way bigger than this, okay? Which is the reason for this long intro. I know I, everything I know about long intros and short sentences I learned from Jen. So there's my intro. I'm pretty sure... 72% of her sermon on baptism last week was intro. It was amazing. Though. It was good. You know it's good when six-year-old kids say, Mom, I want to be baptized. And I mean that seriously. That's how good that was. So here's where we're going. I still do dream of a church of people that are 100% deployed, functioning in their lane, humming like German fidget spinners and Swiss watches. I still dream of a, It's just too easy now. I still dream of a group of people who are fully engaged, fully deployed in their brilliance, and using their gifts and talents. It's just that here's the important caveat. It's not for the purpose of a local church. It's for the purpose of engaging the world, which is a fundamental difference. You see, the framework that I'm proposing today that we look at our gifts and our talents... Still work? You still got me, Mac? Any real conversation about, stu- uh, about stewarding our talents and our gifts becomes a gospel. It becomes a kingdom conversation. This is not corporate strategy, and this has nothing to do with the growth of ANC. It's about the gospel and its impact in a thirsty and in a hungry world. I used to say that God's dream for the world was the local church. Naturally, I was spending a fortune trying to get trained up and educated so that I could dedicate a lifetime of vocation to the local church. Of course, I saw it that way, but let me tell you what I see now. Over time, there's a crack that develops between the church and the gospel, the church and the kingdom. They're not one and the same. It's not a natural overlay all of the time. If the local church had a monopoly on what God was doing in Austin, then I would say, let's grow it. It's the hope of Austin. But God is doing so many things just outside, not only of our tradition, but here's what I want to suggest to us this morning. Just outside of earshot of God's people, he's still moving. It doesn't take believers for God to be God and God to do what he's going to do. I used to think that the only way that, that, that people would be reached was a, some church rising up and figuring out how to welcome folk. Actually, guys, it's not my dream that Austin comes to ANC. My dream is that we mobilize and that we stay motivated to follow the wind where it goes because the wind is blowing in Austin. Why? Because hungry, desperate, lonely people are finding God. That's where we need to be. And it's a fundamental difference. Here's why. The exercise of the spiritual gifts in, in circles that consist entirely of people of faith become hierarchies of value. Well, he's a prophet. Oh, no, no, she's an apostle. I said she. That's what the Bible says. King James made it he, but Junia was a female. 
I'll just give you that for free. That's that <laughs> expensive education. I see Thomas in the back of the room laughing, so that's for you, Thomas. Here's the deal. The exercise of spiritual gifts outside of the earshot of people who are desperate to know who God is become nothing but ways that we categorize ourselves. The presence of the world in this conversation is essential. Now, I say that. I'm a huge proponent of the local church. You know that. And I'm all about you discovering your gifts and talents. Nobody supports you finding your lane more than me. Your brilliance is not a threat to our vision at ANC. When you rise up and become all that God has gifted you to be, we are designed to support that. It's no threat to the vision of this house. We support all of that process as long as the vision for those gifts and those talents is to impact a world who needs to know that Jesus lives. It's the bottom line. The end game is not about you being happy and satisfied and fulfilled as a believer. And that's 90% of what I've ever taught on this subject. It's not about you being satisfied and fulfilled or these seats being filled, right? The end game is the wholesale blessing of the world. Literally speaking, your passion, your talents, your skills, your abilities, those things that you do, your dreams were not given to you for private consumption. They're actually not about you. And they're actually not even about ANC. They're about Austin and Key West and Tuscaloosa and I don't know where else y'all are from. <laughs> Just apply Austin to your city, although it's not as cool as ours. But you, <laughs> but you knew that, right? <laughs> Here's the catch, guys. The gospel transcends any sense of individuality. It goes right past the individual, just like it blows right past the local church. The gospel is about the world. The target is the entire world. But you've got to hang on to this concept, right? Borrowing from Paul's language to the churches of the Galatian region. Don't be bewitched. Don't lose this focus. It's about the blessing of the world. Don't become self-consumed. Don't break down on sort of tribal, you know, who's got the rant better memorized than the next guy. This has always been about the world. Here's what I'm saying. At the bottom of every person's longing to find where their personal gifts and strengths fit into the bigger mix is the discovery of concrete gifts and talents that God has, has deposited in you for the good of the world. It's for the good of the world. Maybe I could tweet the whole intro just by saying this. Church isn't the point. The world is. Which is why we need bakers and painters and builders and mechanics and writers and web designers and skilled teachers of special education and IT diagnosticians and bricklayers and plumbers and underwater welders. We need them all. We need them all. That, none of that makes sense within the confines of a discussion of the local church, which is why I'm blowing it up to the next level. Otherwise, we just need preachers and singers and such. We've worn that model out. No, the world needs to know that God lives. And when people do what people do well, something about that crackles and draws people home. That's why we need all of those things. I've spent years developing strategies to help local pastors find free labor in their churches to get stuff done. Because... I thought that's what biblical stewardship was. Lo and behold, 99% of us are not gifted to lead the local church. Can those churches become centers? Can they become beacons of hope that send people out into the world to do what they do? Or are they just going to pull talent in to stretch the tent stakes? So writing to the church at Corinth, let's look to Peter and Paul for a moment. Paul's big themes, you know, you're well taught around here are, you know, mutual submission, the interdependence one of another, and also the common good. These are the big themes in Paul. Writing to the church at Corinth, which is a community that at this point when Paul is writing that is splintering along allegiance lines to different leaders, he has these words, 1 Corinthians 12. 
Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that same, by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, you know where we're going, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one in the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. For what purpose? For the common good. Quick question. We ask questions here, and we like to answer them. Is this list exhaustive of the ways God has blessed people? Is this this the ultimate list? Is Paul writing this thinking, okay, we have to include everything because if we don't get included, then it's not going to be considered a gift. Is that what he's writing for? Absolutely not. What are some of the other gifts that God has given humankind? For the good of the, for the common good, the good of the world. Throw them at me. Hospitality. Hospitality. Thank God. Did you ever stay in somebody's house that didn't want you there? <laughs> yeah. What else? Art. Art. You know, for centuries, the real speakers of the gospel were the painters, right? We don't know anything that was preached in the Middle Ages, but we can look at it on canvas, can't we? What else? Administration. Administration. Okay, so that's three out-of-town comments, y'all. A and C show up now. <laughs> How has God gifted A and C people? Anyone? I was going to say, is it all Bueller's in here? Come on, y'all. Connection, the gift of connecting people. Have you ever met someone who's connected to everyone? They've been here 10 minutes and they know everyone. Where's Jackie Hooks? Where's Jackie Hooks? She's teaching because that's how you do it. You serve. That's exactly right. Someone else. Ways that God has, give some encouragement on a long day. You know, one of those 48-hour days when you can't get your head up off your desk because all you can process is the negative feedback you got the night before and someone calls and encourages you. Is that a gift? <laughs> the ways God has gifted us for the good, the common good. Here's the point. Every one of the gifts that Paul mentions here and elsewhere are given for the purpose of the blessing of the greater whole. The prophet prophesies for the good of the community. It's not about being a prophet or having the gift of faith or the gift of tongues or any of those things. It's for community benefit. Okay, we're going to layer this here. In Paul's letter to the church gathering at Rome, he takes aim at one more complication that surrounds this, and we touch on this briefly, that surrounds the, the whole idea of spiritual gifts. Let's read Romans 12. Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Make a mental note there. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Some of the same themes in Corinthians, right? For just as each one of you, uh, ha- each one of us has a body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we through many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each. Uh, if your gift is prophesying, then, then serving, then teaching, then encouraging and giving and leading and mercy and all of these things, and he goes back into the litany of gifts. What does Paul mean by sober judgment? Scholars, what does he mean by sober judgment? Humility? What does Paul mean? Do not think of yourself more, more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. What does that mean? Clear? Clear-mindedness? Humility? Anybody else? Objectivity? How so? Um, so you think of yourself as 
Yeah, that's good. See, Paul is adding a layer here. We are to use what God has given us with sober judgment, which he goes on to explain is knowing that we belong one to another. Do whatever you have been gifted to do, Paul is saying, with the awareness that we belong one to another, semicolon, that we are not the only set of eyes, the only set of feet, the only way of doing this thing. There's this sober judgment that says ours is a way, not the way, and there's a huge difference there. You see, ultimately, this will become the litmus test of what is spiritual under the new definition in Paul. Whatever can be demonstrated to be in accordance with love and the interest of others, these things are the new spirituality found in Christ. So not only are we to uh, allow these gifts to flow out of us for the common good, but we are also not to allow them to set us up in such a way that looks down on the rest and how they exercise their gifts. And I would just suggest this only happens when the, your only friends are believers. This doesn't happen when you live in the real world because none of this stuff has any transactional value on the streets where your kids play soccer and our kids swim. It just doesn't. But Paul's layering it up here. Let's look at some words in Peter. And these, this is probably my favorite discussion of gifts in the New Testament. It's simple. I'm simple. He keeps it really easy to understand. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others easy as pie, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's a new layer. If anyone speaks, they should do so with, as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What's the next layer here? Here's the theological piece that we're looking for. The ways that we are gifted are actually ways that God is present in the world. Not only is it for the common good, not only can we not allow it to create hierarchies of value, but these are graces, which is a way of saying God is present in the world when we do these things. When bakers bake, when welders weld, when singers sing. I could push this all day long and wear you out. You get my point. What does this mean? Simply that our gifts are ways that God is present to the broken and the dying and the lost. So concerning spiritual gifts, these three points in summary. Every gift we have been given is for the common good. And they're to be used with sober judgment, not for self-promotion. Because these are ways that God is present in the world. And figuring out how you are gifted specifically is actually not something you should do in your free time. This is the stuff of your life. This is your main job. This is not your moonlight. This is your main deal. If there's one thing you must figure out, it is what are those things that when you do them, everything integrates. Here's how you know. You anticipate those things and you relive them for strength after they're gone. What are those things? Think about it. What are those encounters? What are those activities? What are those spaces that you inhabit where you can't stop daydreaming? You're in conversation with a good friend, but you're not there. You're preparing for this other thing that's coming because when you do that thing, everything around you just shines. And when you're done, when you walk off that stage, when you put down that instrument, when you sign off on that rebuild, whenever it is, whatever it is that you do, you relive that because there's something there that fuels you. It produces a surplus of energy inside of you. It exhausts you physically because you've spent the whole day working, but inside you're alive. You can't go straight to bed, right, Jen? You've got to binge a little while on Bloodline on Netflix because your head's on fire. 
right? Here's a dumb example, but it's an example. We had some guys together uh, a couple nights ago on the Hatmaker's porch, and we call it Pipes and Porter. There was something so alive about that space, something so much fun. I think I got home at about, oh, I don't know, 11.45. But could I go to bed? Absolutely not. My brain's still on fire. My hair's on fire. Something about that space. I live for that connectional space. For me, it's pretty simple. It's connecting people. It's really not complicated. And if you know me, you know that. So whenever I go in and out of those spaces, forget sleep. You don't need to feed me. You don't need to put me to bed. You don't need to change my... Di- no, well, you change my diaper. You get my point. It, everything comes to... So what is that for you? Where are those spaces for you? Listen, I've given you zero new information today. In fact, I push back on the whole role of pastor as informer. No, that's not, I'm not going to do that for you. Pastor as reminder, perhaps, Sometimes. I push back on that whole idea that I'm bringing you new information. Here's the thing. You just need courage. You just need courage to believe that that thing that God has given you, although it doesn't fit in the ways that you thought it might, fits in the world because it's for the good of the world and for the glory of God. Here's how you do it. It's about careful observation of the self and of those around you. Careful observation and good notes will tell you where everything connects for you. That's why you're here. I would suggest to you it's probably the most important thing you'll ever accomplish on your spiritual journey. Being able to know each day how to increasingly move in the direction of spending more and more time doing that thing, whatever that thing is. But the same is true for those around us. And if we can build a community that observes well, that sees these things when they're working, and if we are the kind of community who will say that we saw that brilliance, we become a, the kind of place that releases people to do what they do. You don't know what I'm talking about? Here's an example. Watch Mike Delaney with a piece of wood. You watch him turn that into an heirloom. You watch Brandon when he's in front of a crowd talking about upstream mission. How do we not just serve the orphan? How do we figure out why you've got parents and why you're in the city? Why can't we go to the village? And Oh, you need a school. We can do that. Oh, you don't have teachers? We can do that. And now all of a sudden you've got micro industry. Let's move upstream. Watch him in that space. Just watch him. Watch Drew Beckley talk about adventure. These are just little observations that I've made, right? Watch Mike Koch, he's not here, thank God, on the side of the karate mat when he's coaching his son and daughter. Watch him. The whole world stops. Watch Jen as she pulls words from the struggle in that little chicken coop office. That actually wasn't the chicken coop, was it? Shed. We're going to call it shed. Watch her as she pulls words from silence and gives permission to people to be set free. Watch Mac as he tweaks the room so the jazz club can hear Sarah McLaughlin who turned up in Austin. No sound person, no Sarah McLaughlin, sorry. Sorry, Canada, eh? No singer-songwriter, no sound guy. Watch him. Watch Shay as she protects our odd little group of kids as she stewards them in spaces that aren't always friendly and she protects their souls, watch her shape the hearts of the sixth graders as they're coming up and have to figure out how to get along with their senior siblings. Watch Jennifer Science as she advocates for the underdog. Just watch her. It, it doesn't even take three sentences worth of information and she knows exactly how to lean in the right places. What am I saying? We have to observe 
these gifts. And if we labored under this thought that only preachers and singers and such had anything to do with the expansion of the kingdom that rules almost all of these people out, what I'm trying to articulate to us is a different kind of mentality, a different kind of world. Here's the key. It matters because God is present in the world in these ways. It matters because God is present through those gifts and those talents. Through you doing you, through you being you, through you fighting that fight that comes natural for you. So, in conclusion, what is the gospel for us today? This could have been a super practical gift assessment conversation. When the subject is spiritual gifts and talents, we can do all the assessments. We can do the Myers-Briggs. We can do the strengths finder. We can, I've done them all. We can do them all. I'm, I'm certified to coach some of them, and none of that matters. I'm more a philosopher than, than a technician anyway, so you know that's not the angle I'm going to take. But here's the key. We have been gifted in exactly the right ways to impact the people around us. No aftermarket add-ons, no hop-ups, no add-on kits, no go on and we got to bring this up and bring this. Listen, right now, the way you are designed exactly in this moment has been empowered by God to impact the world that is around you. That can't be the gift of someone from a stage at a leadership development conference that's going to deliver the secret to growing your church. It can't be. They're not in your context. about to preach here. I'm about to wrap it up. There's a dozen books for that if you want that. Contact me. I'll tell you what those are. But as a local church, the gospel for us today is that God has already given us the secret to this city. Not to change it, not to make it come to our church, but to follow the wind of God through it and to see the most amazing things as God does what he's going to do anyway. What does this mean for you? I don't know. There's a sentence in a real poem, simply this. Go to the limits of your longing because if you long for it, God probably put it there. Watch what he will do. That's where you're going to find abundant life. That's where the yoke is going to be easy and the burden is going to be light because you're already hardwired to succeed in that space. Let's pray.